Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The dead won't buy me. It's the living you got to worry about. Something if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. We're back again this week to record. I feel like we were just here recording. Weren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Um, We're very busy people. (laughs) Yes, there's a lot going on in our lives. We'll probably have some things to tell you about soon. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, most of the things that go on in our lives are not related. No, no, not really. Hopefully not, because then it'd be like probably murder. Well, also, you know, podcasting. Not necessarily. Yeah. I like it goes straight to killing. Just like, I don't want to be on my own podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. You never know. You one never know. Might become unhinged. Everyone. <laughs> and when people know that um, that we do a podcast, they're always just like, I don't want to end up on your podcast. I'm like, well, then don't do not do the thing. Yeah. Don't do the crimes. <laughs> it's very simple. Uh, we've got a great show for you this week. If this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Let's head over to the newsroom. So this week, our news comes from NDTV, where a man named Kevin Duger was recently released after spending 20 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. You might have seen this because around here, it's kind of big news. Mm -hmm. Um, So in 2005, Duger was convicted in Cook County. Uh, for a murder and received a 54-year sentence. 20 years later, Kevin Duger's twin brother, Carl Smith, who was already serving a 99-year sentence, confessed to authorities that he had, in fact, committed the murder. Twin crimes. Twin (laughs) crimes. And they're identical twins. So identical DNA. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so... This is again from NDTV, quote, in 2014, he signed a sworn confession. However, in 2018, a judge ruled that Mr. Smith's confession w- confessions were not credible and refused his brother a new trial. The court cited Mr. Smith's 99-year prison sentence as one of the reasons opining that Mr. Smith had done nothing, uh, had nothing to lose now by claiming he was the shooter and thereby saving his brother. Mm-hmm. Which I get from that perspective, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Duger is finally granted a new trial in 2021, and he was eventually released in January 2022. 
I think he had gotten some new attorneys that refiled. Mm -hmm. So interesting case of mistaken identity. But not really. Yeah. (laughs) Because the identity is essentially the same. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, just one in another long line of wrongful convictions Uh in Illinois. That should be like a thing. Like if you find out that the suspect has an identical brother or sister, you should be like, all right, well, we just got to cross our T's and dot our I's and double check. (laughs) Yeah. Like an extra requirement of verifying Mm -hmm. alibis of the sibling. Yeah. That would be interesting. I wonder how that would work in practice. How often, like, a twin commits a crime. Are there st- st- statistics? thousands of movies about it, so it's got to happen, twin right? <laughs> There's always like, ooh, and then they discover he has, like, a long-lost twin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the evil twin. Right? I watched some stupid movie that had that essential, like, plot twist in it. Like, it was the twin? With Henry Cavill, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I forget the guy's name, but his one twin was like severely abused and had a, a like a intellectual problem. And the other twin was totally fine in the mastermind. Oh, my God. And they were like the fuck? switching all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so bad. But yeah, okay. lots of plot lines about it. Oh so I'm God. sure it happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Moving right along to Netflix and Kill. This week, we're talking about the puppet master hunting the ultimate con man. Uh, This is a documentary that looks at the story of Robert Hendry Friegard, who was a 51-year-old man from England that claimed to be MI5. He would find his victims while he worked at the Swan Pub, convincing patrons that he was an undercover MI5 agent looking for potential connections to the IRA at the prestigious Harper Adams Agricultural College. During this whole time, he convinced John Atkinson, Sarah Smith, and Maria Hendy, eventually convincing them that his cover had been blown and they needed to go on the run. There's also this fabricated story weaved in there about uh, Friegard suffering from cancer and wanting to, like, visit a bucket list of places around Britain. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, he managed to persuade Smith to cut and dye her hair, as well as getting her entire 300,000-pound inheritance as well as a 400,000-pound um, sum from Atkinson for, quote-unquote, witness protection. Hendy, meanwhile, began a relationship with Friegard that lasted nine years, and the two had two kids. Uh, Friegard did this to multiple people, sometimes promising marriage to different women in order to con them out of money. Eventually, he was charged with two counts of kidnapping, ten counts of theft, and eight counts of deception – which he was found guilty for and then sentenced to life in prison in 2005. But the kidnapping charges were eventually thrown out after his lawyers claimed that the people were not kidnapped, but in fact went with them of their own free will. Right. Mm -hmm. Because brainwashing isn't a thing. So this allowed him to be freed from prison in 2009. And there's some other events that actually happen after he's released from prison, but you're going to have to watch the documentary to find out what they are. Gotta hook you in. Um, so have you had the opportunity to watch this? I started it and then fell asleep. Oh. So I got about 20 minutes in and then passed out because it was a little boring. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Which is disappointing <laughs> because this really is an interesting story. Like mm-hmm. the twists and turns and the amount of deception and like how... It- I don't know if it's been the same people making Netflix pod or, uh, you know, serial killer documentary crime things yeah Uh, but the last few that have come out have been real shit yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. I watched the Tinder Swindler too, and that one was done in a very terrible way as well. Really? I just added that to my list this morning. It's a good story, but it's a little like the way that they filmed it was a little like, ew. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I almost turned it off. I mean, there's definitely, (laughs) I feel like there's definitely like a pool of directors and producers that they pull from Mm -hmm. often. I'm wondering if the last few have been by someone different. I haven't looked at who's been producing or, you know, any of that stuff. But yeah, the last couple that I've watched that have come out this year. Yeah. End of last year have been not so great. Yeah. Well, and I mean, really, like, even if you're pulling from that pool of directors, like, a good documentary takes a while to make because mm-hmm. there's a lot of research and filming and some, I mean, yeah. sometimes years to mm-hmm. really have something to put together. So it's not like they can churn them out at the rate that people are consuming the content. Yeah. And honestly, I'd be okay with waiting a couple extra weeks so that you yeah. can make it look like shit. Yes. <laughs> make yes. it look like it was a college project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Better documentaries, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take um, your time. <laughs> I think just for the story, it's worth a watch. Yeah. Um, but don't start it when you're tired. No. Because <laughs> it will lull you to sleep yeah. slowly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was the Puppet Master hunting the ultimate con man. Before we move off of Netflix and Kill, I w- actually, I wanted to talk to you about this before Uh-oh, we recorded. Okay. <laughs> but little side note. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything about Murderville? I actually started watching it. How is it? I'm so it's, anxious. It's funny. It's funny. Well, not all of them are funny yeah so the whole thing uh, with murderville is it's starring will arnett and they each episode have you can tell i haven't watched it yet but Mm -hmm. you can you tell me if i'm getting this right now each episode they have basically uh special guests Mm -hmm. um but what i found out today is that they were not given a script nope so, like, Will Arnett has a script, right? Kind of. Kind of. Um, and there's a general it's very idea. very improv. Yeah. Yes. Almost the entire thing is improv, mm-hmm. like a detective show. It is literally like an escape room, like a murder mystery escape room. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> I just think that concept is so fun. Mm-hmm. Like, and some of the stars they have on, I saw Kumal Nanjiani is on that. Mm-hmm. Um, did O'Brien. I see Conan O'Brien? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one. Um, like, just insane stars. What's her name from Schitt's Creek? Oh, Alexis. Oh. Uh, whatever. I can't actually, remember I her what, actual name. No. <laughs> Alexis, though. Yeah, she's on there. Yeah. Um, They have a football player. Yeah, some of them were very unprepared. You could tell. Right. They're probably like, oh, this sounds fun. And they go in like, like, uh. Spot on. <laughs> they, they did not learn the yes and. Yes. And, <laughs> um, but it's, they're very quick episodes. So yeah. They're easy to like digest. Very fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I start off with Conan O'Brien, which is pretty great. Nice. And Con- oh my God. Conan's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it sounds like such a fun concept. I'm so looking forward to getting into that. Um, yeah. something a little, you know, murder light. <laughs> yeah. For it's sure. Def- it's definitely like, we had a forensic murder mystery thing that we did in middle school it was like sixth grade science class where we had to determine if the stain at the crime scene was chocolate or blood oh i remember this (laughs) This i do remember this (laughs) oh my god i totally forgotten that was a thing yes (laughs) sometimes i pull these memories out but like that's the the feeling that it gave me okay Okay. Like, they present you with all of these, like, here is evidence. And then you have to, like, they go and um, interview, like, two or three people. And then the person who comes on as the guest has to determine who is the killer. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's not, yeah. It just sounds so good. Like, just the I, – I hope – 
that it is successful because I think mm-hmm. the concept really is like a winning concept. Like, that's, yeah. mm-hmm. that is legit. But it's pretty fun. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I, I'm so excited. Looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for letting me take this little detour into yeah, something. Fine. But I was I like, I cannot, watched it last night. <laughs> I cannot wait to tell Janelle about this. Um, Bo turned it on. I was like, oh, my God. I was just going to tell you to turn that off. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, the new seasons of The Righteous Gemstones started. Yes, I watched that. I've been watching so Euphoria. Good. I watched Yellow Jackets is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just watched the new season of Queer Eye. I haven't ventured into that yet. So but, good. Um, Be ready to cry, though. The new uh, – his his other uh Jonathan Vanessa's other show. Yeah, getting curious. Yes, that's yeah. really good. We started watching that. Yeah. Um okay, anyway. <laughs> back to crime. Crime time. <laughs> <laughs> this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Um this week we are going to be talking about some pretty serious shit, I would say. Murder. Not so much for mine. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely murder, but yeah. it's it's murder. It's, got a twist. it's mainly murder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know me with the twists. <laughs> oh, yes. We love a good twist up in here. Okay. So this week, I wanted to pull out a classic. <laughs> you know, revisit our roots. Really go back to where it all started. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this week, we are talking serial killers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, of course, as we all know, a serial killer, somebody who murders uh three or more people Mm -hmm. it does not have to be like an exorbitant amount although i feel like most people would argue one is too many yeah mm -hmm. but if you're gonna do one (laughs) why not do more (laughs) (laughs) so this week i wanted to look at the case of salvatore perone okay okay Going outside the U.S.? No. Okay. <laughs> I was like, because no. I went outside the U.S. <laughs> Think Staten Island. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. Very they much. wish they were outside the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Very much inside the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Perone was married to Maria Salerno, and the two purchased this property in Staten Island. Um, the house itself was kind of considered a real eyesore in the community. And honestly, the couple... And that's Staten Island. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry in advance, I think. Uh, as, as a person with Italian heritage that comes directly from New York to Cleveland, I'm sorry, Staten Island. <laughs> I just very... I imagine this whole thing is very gabagoo. Oh, like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Full gabagoo. Full fugazi. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> so the couple, when they bought the house, they actually had plans to do some renovations and do some add-ons and really, like, bring the house up to up to date. But before any of it could happen, the couple divorced. And the house very quickly became just kind of a dilapidated mess. It was reported that at a certain point, uh, Perone began dating a woman in Brooklyn and was only staying at the house like part time, effectively ending any work that was being done at the house. According to Oxygen, quote, one, one a neighbor uh, who wishes to remain anonymous told the Staten Island advance that Perone began sleeping in the basement, calling him a nasty piece of work. So take that. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> what a nasty man. Mm hmm. Piece of work is a real Italian thing, too. Tell yeah. someone a piece of work. <laughs> it was a PTSD response <laughs> to that saying. <laughs> like, oh, God. <laughs> now, previously, Perone had a few run-ins with the law. Besides collecting around 14 complaints about his home alone, Perone had previously been arrested for 
drunk driving in Staten Island and New Jersey, as well as stalking, burglary, harassment, and public drunkenness in Pennsylvania. Okay, okay. For work, Perone was employed as an independent apparel salesman. That. (laughs) Which. He picks up things that fall off the back of trucks often. (laughs) Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that, but that could be. Now, when you say you're an independent whatever, whatever. Yeah, it's definitely just stealing things. Nothing (laughs) that I read gave me the impression that it was a seedy thing. But Mm -hmm. then I'm like. Would it? Now that you said that, I'm like, would it? Because he did, what he did essentially was walk around to stores to try to sell clothing to sell in their store. Yeah. Out of the truck of his car? Yeah. <laughs> I know a couple of these guys. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it. That sounds mm-hmm. about right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got this nice wristwatch. You want to go over and take a look at it? It's real nice. It's a Rolex. <laughs> uh, he had hoped to eventually start his own clothing line, even filing for a trademark in 2007. And he was like relatively successful at the time as well, netting himself hundreds of thousands of dollars, an amount that would be down to only $1.84 in his bank account by the time he would eventually go to trial. Spoiler alert. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So starting in the summer of 2012, a series of bodies were found in various clothing shops around the area. In them? In the clothing shops. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm just trying to follow here. (laughs) Okay. On July 6th, 65-year-old Mohammed Gabelli was discovered in his Bay Ridge clothing store with a single gunshot wound to the head. Only a month later, 59-year-old Isaac Kader was found inside his store in Bensonhurst, and he had been shot and stabbed. Um, It would take a couple of months before a third body was discovered in Prospect Lefferts Garden, where authorities found 78-year-old Ramatola Vahidapur inside his store with gunshot wounds to his head, face, and chest. That's overkill. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. The murders appeared to be connected as they all happened close to closing time all of the victims had been their bodies had been covered in clothing and other items from the store and they found 22 caliber shell casings at each of the crime scene so immediately they were like this seems connected yeah police also managed to obtain security footage from near the site of two of the murders showing a man walking with a black duffel bag Earning him the moniker John Doe Duffel Bag. That sounds very Italian. <laughs> this John Doe Duffel Bag over yeah, here. Yeah, it's a classic name. <laughs> um, I'll also say, because I can't honestly, I don't know why I wouldn't have put this in my notes, but I can't honestly remember if I did. I think just from the his kind of like dilapidated house mm-hmm. and, of course, all of this stuff. He also got the name Son of Sal. Oh, Jesus. His name is Salvatore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so they, real stretch, guys. They call him <laughs> Son of Sal. Oof. I know, but I was like, I'm here for a good bad name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like Johnny Bag of Donuts, you know? Johnny Bag of Donuts. Oh, my God. The Italians. Yes. Not exactly uh, the greatest at giving nicknames. Um. So this image, the security footage image, was released to the public, one of which was able to identify the stranger as Sal Perone. Uh, Police were able to locate Perone at a Bay Ridge pharmacy, and he was taken in for questioning. 
they were initially like taking this case extremely seriously because obviously not just because they people were getting murdered, but uh, each of the shopkeepers was of Middle Eastern descent. So mm-hmm. they treated it in the beginning as a hate crime. Yeah. Um, which later the hate crime portion of it would be dropped um, because the motives were, I think, significantly different. Mm -hmm. It was more of a hate crime of clothes, I think. A hate crime of fashion? (laughs) Fashion crimes. Extreme fashion fashion crimes. crimes. (laughs) (laughs) So while Peron was being questioned, authorities conducted a search of his girlfriend's home in Brooklyn. There they found the duffel bag from the videos uh, that had been um, it contained a 22 caliber sawed off rifle and a serrated knife that appeared to still have blood on it. Both of these things were sent to be forensically tested. The results came back showing the blood stains on the knife and bag belonged to two out of the three victims. And the gun was identified as the murder weapon. Thanks to ballistic testing. See junk science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I'm not. We, Footnote there. Yeah. <laughs> I literally put like star see junk science because we could rehash it over and over again. We yeah. talk about it a lot. Junk science is a thing. You can but say so that you know. it's of a similar gun. Yes. It's of a similar round. Yeah. But can you definitively say it is the same gun? In this case, yeah. yeah 100%. <laughs> <laughs> So Perone was arrested on three counts of murder and three counts of criminal possession of a weapon. It became abundantly clear to authorities that Perone was like a little unhinged and like really at the very least, he often provided multiple versions of his story. This is where for me, it gets like kind of weird it, it really interesting, but just like kind of weird. Okay. So according to Stan Island Live, one version included a plan to promote world peace, which who could say no to that? Okay. Something we especially need right now. Okay. <laughs> uh, by the time it had gone to court, Perone insisted he was being set up by a business associate. Classic. Okay. The New York Daily News reported that when Perone took the stand in his own defense, something that went pretty much as as Don't you would expect that. it to. Don't do that. <laughs> Especially when you get somebody who's kind kind of mad. Like, they're just... Anyway. So, this is from the Daily News article. Quote, Perone doesn't deny surveillance videos show him toting a black duffel bag in the vicinity of the Brooklyn murders. But the former salesman swore under oath he swapped bags with an Iranian business associate by the name of Michael Bila, only to learn later that uh, the bag he said Bila gave him contained the murder weapons, his own rifle and a serrated knife. He gave me a duffel bag, Perone, 67, said during questioning from defense attorney Howard Kirsch. I put the duffel bag down. I never looked at that bag, he added, noting he did not bother to unzip the luggage. A man by the name of Michael Bila was unable to be found, of course. And he, like, continued to insist, like, you have to find this guy. His name is Michael Bila. If that's your real that's, name. <laughs> he said that's not his real name, yeah. but you need to find this person. Like. Mm-hmm. Just all very I mean, even strange. if you use aliases, generally people will know your alias or find out your street name or whatever that may be. Right. <laughs> right. Perone also claimed that he had an alibi for the night of Gabelli's murder, saying he had been eating dinner at his friend Luis Baschino's garment shop like he did every Friday, saying, again, from the Daily News article, quote, 
we have a whole gathering of friends. We're just a bunch of guys. Every Friday night we would get together. I think they still meet. I don't know. I'm in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Which, fair enough. Yeah. But also that's classic. You know, you have some pasta, you play some cards. (laughs) I just love the idea of like, I don't know what they're doing. I'm in jail. I'm very clearly not there right now. (laughs) Uh, He was, of course, asked why none of these people were called to testify if he saw them every Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, A question that went unanswered in lieu of a long-winded rant about 65 other witnesses Perone (laughs) had insisted weren't being allowed to speak. Mm -hmm. There was, like, a ton of other weirdness in this case. Like, you could get lost in just the articles about the, like, court proceedings themselves. Mm. Perone eventually fired his attorney and attempted to represent himself. Again, um, not a good move. <laughs> I want to actually read a portion of oh boy. that exchange as reported by the Brooklyn Reporter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Quote. Ready. Mr. Martin has done nothing in my interest. With all due respect, I can't do any worse than he's doing, Perone contended. He has done nothing to pursue telephone records or anything. Judge Alan Maris warned Perone of the significance of his decision and asked if he had any prior legal training, to which he responded... He had worked in the apparel industry and prior to that for billionaire business mogul George Soros. According to Mr. Martin, I'm charged with six murders, Perone said. You are charged with killing three individuals, Maris told him. (laughs) He told me I would be getting the death penalty, Perone said. Mr. Martin knows there is no death penalty. You are facing life in jail. This is a very serious sentence you are facing, Maris said. Do you understand that you are taking a risk without having an attorney representing you? I can have the best attorney in the United States represent me, but without the video, I have no alibi, Perone answered, referring to the MTA surveillance video of him that he said would clear his name during his last appearance in April. This guy is a fake. He is a liar, Perone said of Martin. He's just running out the clock like Assistant District Attorney Melissa uh, Carvajal. They are well aware if you run out the clock, you get no more Sprint Virgin phone records. Anyway, it goes on and on and on. Like, oh, boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Those exchanges yeah. kind of yikes. Okay, it's a lot. Yeah, and I there's a video. I I thought about including it, but there's a video where he is trying to get his first attorney removed. Um, which if it's a court appointed attorney, the judge has to approve it. Like you mm-hmm. can't just fire that attorney. So he was in front of the judge, and I always there's part of me that feels really bad for these attorneys because. Like, there are some really bad attorneys out there. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to lie. There are just bad attorneys, Um, as you can see by the many, many ineffective assistance of counsel claims that we see. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Some of those are legit. Some of them are not. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be an attorney and have to stand up there while your client is like, I want him gone. He sucks. He's stupid. Like, I know the law better. Like, Mm -hmm. being a real Karen about it. And just have to stand there and be like, your honor, (laughs) I've tried. Like, I don't, I've done everything he asked me to do. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. I just feel really bad because that's really fucking awkward. Yeah. It's like getting dressed down by a customer to your boss. It's just like, you know, we all know retail Mm -hmm. woes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in the end, Barone wouldn't actually represent himself. Instead, getting a... Court-appointed defense attorney named Howard Kirsch, who himself 
like afterwards made all of these comments alluding to the difficulties of working with him. He was just like, you can't work with a guy like that. Like literally in news interviews, it's just like it was impossible to work with him. That's why he probably murdered people. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to work with me? Fine. <laughs> um, after a long and sometimes frustrating and outburst-filled trial, including Perone himself being barred from the courtroom due to his outbursts, Classic. Perone <laughs> was sentenced to 75 years to life in prison in 2016, which was the maximum sentence allowed by law. After hearing heartfelt statements, from the families of the victims who wholly condemned his actions, often sharing the sentiment that he rot and die in prison. Perone had an opportunity to make his own statement, which, again, went about as you would expect. Um, he opened with, quote, my sincerest condolences to the families of the victims before delving into what seemed to be a rambling 25 minute defense. 25 okay. minutes, um, most of which involved evidence he felt should have been brought in that exonerated him or provided him an alibi. There was like this a after he opened with my condolences, there was kind of like this interaction with between him and some of the victim's families who mm -hmm. didn't wait that long before they just got up and walked out <laughs> yeah. of the courtroom, which I get. Mm -hmm. At one point, he blamed his conviction on Kirsch, who was his uh, appointed defense attorney, calling him a dum-dum. <laughs> like, this dum-dum over you. So good. Yes. <laughs> as far as I can tell, he is still in prison. I mean, the dude was not... Real schmuck. <laughs> he was a real schmuck. Mm -hmm. But that is the story of Son of Sal, Joe, John Doe Duffelbag... <laughs> <laughs> Sal Perone. <laughs> With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Well, as I stated, we're going to go go a little, little trip. Okay. I'm ready. So uh, I don't really like to cover the well-known well-known guys on here because you know a lot of people do that i like mm -hmm. to try to stick to the niche um but for this i wanted to go outside of the u.s to okay try to, like discover something else so, yes exotic lands please i mean not too exotic oh. but <laughs> we're gonna be going to spain okay with spania okay uh to talk about their first recorded serial killer oh okay history lesson how okay so how long ago was that we are going to 1809 <laughs> okay. So during this time, brief history lesson, Spain was actually being ruled by a French Napoleonic puppet monarchy. Okay. <laughs> and it was the beginnings of a revolt occurring for their independence. And at the same time, their Spanish American colonies were also fighting for 
their independence. So it was just strife with war everywhere. Okay. So Spain was trying to get independence from France. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, their the colonies were Americans trying were trying to get mm-hmm. yep. freedom from Spain. Okay. I don't so. know. I, I will definitely say I do not know as much about European history mm-hmm. as American history. Yes. For sure. Um, this is also the time when anarchism started becoming a thing in Spain. Okay. Um, yeah. The All 1800s right. are right. a wild time. I see why you love this. <laughs> yes. So this was the environment that Manuel Blanco Roma Santa was born into. He was born in Orense, province of Galicia, Spain. He was one of five children born to Miguel Blanco and Maria Roma Santa. Now, Manuel was actually born Manuela, as it was thought that they were a girl. Okay. Then at the age of six, they were deemed a boy and their name was changed. Okay. And we'll discuss that later because it's a little weird footnote, um, but also kind of important. I already have so many questions. Yes. <laughs> because Manuel could read and write, it was thought that they were of better standing. So not necessarily poor, but not also super rich. Okay. Growing up, Manuel had lots of hobbies. They loved to sew and read and they actually practiced soap making. Very cool. Mm-hmm. In their teens, Manuel stopped growing, which was not normal for most children. <laughs> That's the time yeah. generally when people have growth spurts. Yeah. Um, but Manuel would only be 4'11 for the rest of their life. Oh, my gosh. So teeny That's tiny. so tiny. Teeny tiny. Um, and as they grew older, Manuel's career became that of a tailor, although some documents state uh, that they were a dressmaker, but it's believed that they kind of made all sorts of clothes. Okay. It's just a manner of circumstance. Manuel did get married, but was unable to um, locate any information about his wife. Okay. (laughs) Um, Nevertheless, uh, she did die in 1833 suddenly. Again, no documents on her death. It's all very weird. Uh, This is a a time period where documentation was not exactly copacetic. Yeah. Especially during war times. (laughs) This is is also the same time when, like... You know, two women living together were roommates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. And good friends. Yes, yes. Um, after her death, Manuel became a traveling salesman. So they also sometimes worked as a guide to uh, take people through the mountains. And they really knew the area very well, the forests very well, very comfortable in the mountains. And uh, they would often travel across Spain and into Portugal. Okay. So very comfortable in both of those areas. In 1844, Manuel's life would take a very strange turn. Manuel was charged with the murder of Enchete Fernandez, the Aguazil of Leon, which is just a fancy term for a constable. Okay. <laughs> Fernandez was on their way to collect 600 real, which is their money back then, um, from Manuel, who owed a merchant for some merchandise. Uh, Fernandez was then found dead, so naturally the blame was placed on Manuel because they were on the way to get money from them. Okay, I can follow that logic. Now, Manuel heard he was being searched for in connection to the murder, so uh, they fled with a fake passport. They used the the name Antonio Gomez as their their fake passport name. Okay. Now, the weird thing that happened is that Manuel was tried in absentia. So that means that the trial went on without them, and they were sentenced to 10 years. Absentia. Okay. (laughs) Legal terms. I got you. 
That is a weird thing. And that still happens. Like, it's Does very, it? yeah, it's very rare that people are still. I'm like, it's still, 1800, so. Yeah. You know. It's very weird that, <laughs> rare that people are still trying to absentia because mm-hmm. it seems like with all of the, oh, God, what is the term for extradition? With all mm-hmm. the extradition laws, it's easier to get people extradited back to the country that they're being tried in. Mm-hmm. Um, I know of one, I'm trying, I there was one recently that happened, but again, it was like somebody that fled back to india that mm-hmm. wasn't coming back and so they just tried him in absentia but it still happens yeah okay. still a thing. Okay. it's weird legal concept but still a thing yeah feels kind of gross yeah i mean uh, this in particular was a little strange because they're you know no actual evidence <laughs> yeah yeah also 1800s yeah right so they fled to portugal and began like a life on the run and uh they would take these odd jobs doing things like spinning yarn and harvesting fields They cooked, they did cleaning, and they befriended many women in the village. And often men would state, because of the work that Manuel did, that they were effeminate. So, (laughs) again, putting question of gender. It's very interesting. Um, As a few years passed, women and children in the villages that Manuel worked in began to disappear. Uh, No one noticed the disappearances at first as letters kept arriving from the disappeared uh, to their loved ones. So, you know, mother and child go on a trip, don't come back. But they still keep receiving letters. So they're like, all right, well, obviously they made it to their destination. The notes would often state that they were traveling or that they had arrived at a destination. They would write back soon, et cetera, et cetera. This was way back in the day when mail was, like, not traceable. So... Right. Who knows where it came from? Stamps weren't really like, you know, you can see now where everything comes from. Yeah. You stamp it right on the front. Yeah. But well, that wasn't all, super a thing. All the <laughs> stuff would arrive like weeks later. Like yeah. It also mm-hmm. wasn't like a couple of days. It's like mm-hmm. probably weeks since the, whatever letter was written. Yeah. So the other thing was that people would often hire others to write notes and letters for them if they didn't know how to write. Like, if they could only read but didn't know how to write. So if it was in another person's handwriting, that's also not uncommon because if you don't know how to read or write, you might have somebody write something for you to send someone else. Okay. That was a thing back then. Mm -hmm. Didn't realize that. Yeah. So one day, Manuel was caught trying to sell items from someone who had been missing for a while. And this raised suspicion in the village and ugly rumors began to circulate. This was the time where Manuel started to make soap again as his, like, main career. And there were rumors that the soap that he was making was of human fat from disappeared people. Oh, no. If you remember, I've also, I also did a story about an Italian soap maker who did the same thing. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And Fight Club. Um, Uh, Club. (laughs) Just remember. Yeah. It's the most luxurious soap. Oh, my God. (laughs) Lather's really Yep. So shortly after uh, this, a few mutilated bodies were found in the woods surrounding the area, and they were so mutilated that they could not be identified. In 1852, someone filed a formal complaint with authorities in the city of Escolonia, accusing Manuel of using the fat of dead people to make soap. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, this soap is too good. It has to be human fat. I can't believe it's not human. So, uh... Manuel was finally arrested, and their passport was deemed a fake. They were then outed as Manuel Blanco Romasanta, 
and they were taken back to Alariz. Now, can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. So he, so so they were wanted in a different town that they had fled. Yes. Does that information get shared around to like? neighboring towns to be like look out for this person no because obviously they wouldn't have a, <laughs> i mean not like a computer obviously a computer system to just be like is so and so uh wanted mm-hmm. in any other areas okay generally not um i think because uh their previous job was like escorting people mm-hmm. through the mountains i think it was a little bit more known because if you're known as a person who you know does that you might be more well known in other areas as well gotcha so It was more because of the job that they had. Okay. Now, before the trial began, Manuel confessed to killing 13 people. And he said he did it because he suffered from lycanthropy. Is that... You you know what that is? Yes. Yes. It's werewolf, right? It means you're a werewolf, yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's the twist. Okay. (laughs) So, werewolf lore. I gotta say, this is not the twist I expected. (laughs) Is it ever? Are the twists ever expected? No. No. (laughs) So werewolf lore in mountainous regions goes back hundreds of years. And this was, you know, not just Spain. It was everywhere. Everywhere that had a mountain had some sort of werewolf lore. And even though this is the late 1800s, like barely before the Civil War time started, people still believed in werewolf lore. So people believed him and his claim of being a werewolf was sensationalized oh (laughs) my god do you have to like provide any evidence of being like did they put him outside in a full moon here oh my god okay here's what happens okay Okay. so during this time there was also a horrible famine going on in the region so this tale that was covered was like all over the news and in a testimony manuel claimed that he they had been cursed and did not kill those people until they transformed into a werewolf. So obviously not liable. It was werewolf me. So this is a statement from the trial that Manuel gave. Okay. The first time I transformed was in the mountains of Kuaso. I came across two ferocious looking wolves. I suddenly fell to the ground and began to feel convulsions. I rolled over three times and a few seconds later I was a wolf. I was out marauding with the other two for five days until I returned to my own body, the one you see before you today. Your Honor, the other two wolves came with me, who I thought were also wolves, changed into human form. They were from Valencia. One was called Antonio, and the other was Don Gennaro. They, too, were cursed. We attacked and ate a number of people because we were hungry. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, when the court asked him to demonstrate his transformation, he stated that the curse only lasted 13 years and he was no longer able to transform into a worm. You just missed it. Just missed wow. it. Wow. It's like, yeah, I would. Ooh, but... That was last week the curse ended. Oh, my God. Just straight lifted. I wish there were things that worked like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. I have so. so many things. It's just like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I got like five minutes and then my seven years is up and then I can never do it again. No, so sorry. Like, oh my God. Now, a doctor was called to examine him because obviously people are like, well, maybe, you know. Um, but they wanted to make sure that he wasn't totally insane. And they also did check him for werewolfism. Now, you're probably asking, what? They checked him for that? And yes, they checked him for that. <laughs> 
So, okay. Let me show you how. Okay. <laughs> His doctor was a heavy user of phrenology. Oh, That old Lord. thing, guys. You oh, know, man. that old cranial pseudoscience that we love so much. Phrenology no. is not real, y'all. <laughs> no, it's not. So it's especially so not. Clear. Also, like, not a determining factor of werewolves, like, at all. Also, okay. also <laughs> that. Also, 100% cannot tell werewolves. Cannot. Um, <laughs> I feel like As this should be. to be said. This should be. A hundred percent. Have you ever seen Arcane Bullshit? No. I love Arcane Bullshit. They make the weirdest posters and stickers and the darkest, weirdest shit. Like shit. This should be an Arcane Bullshit poster. Oh my god. Chronology cannot determine werewolfism. I mean, true. (laughs) Accurate statement. So his head shape stated that he was totally okay, not insane, and especially not even a werewolf. Well, okay. His thorough Glad dome. Glad we cleared that up. His his thorough dome examination determined he was totally fine and fit. So they stated that he was not exhibiting any symptoms that would lead them to believe he was dimwitted or maniacal. So he was not insane. Okay. <laughs> and those are direct quotes. He's not dimwitted or maniacal. So the trial went on for a year, and Manuel was acquitted of four crimes. As it was determined that they died from actual wolf attacks. Okay. That's the other twist. So four of them so were four actually... people actually died also, from being attacked by wolves. Can we talk about the fact that he's more willing to be like, I am a werewolf, I killed and ate these people, <laughs> than to just be like, yeah, I murdered a couple of people. Like, that is the, more, the thing that you're more okay mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. And it's just super weird that uh, he wasn't a werewolf, but four victims died from wolves that oh he was God. accused of. So, like, That's funny. a little weird. But he was found guilty of nine murders as they looked like they were cut up. Okay. Strange. Now, on April 6th, 1853, Blanco was sentenced to death by Garot with a thousand real compensation to be paid for each victim. Oh, by okay. <laughs> You're just making shit up now. Death like, by garrot? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, a few months later, Manuel's conviction was reevaluated and his sentence changed to life in prison. Okay. People were like, um, maybe not kill him. Maybe not death by fucking garrot. It's Spain. That's man. so weird. Why was that accepted? I mean, it wasn't like. Let me just grab this wire. <laughs> People were Jesus. still using all kinds of weird shit. Okay. Um, well, in this case, it would have been a rope, not a wire. So even worse. <laughs> God. But then the conviction was overturned again, and the original sentence reinstated of oh. death by Garot. <laughs> okay. Now, this case made its way around the newspapers and caught someone's eye. Someone by the name of Mr. Phillips, who was a Brit, wrote a letter to the Spanish Minister of Justice stating that Manuel wasn't in control of themselves at the time because they had clinical lycanthropy. Okay. What is that, you say? Yeah, what is that? It is I a mental say. disorder where someone believes themselves to be a werewolf so much that they act like what they perceive a werewolf to be. So he thought that he was a werewolf and he imagines himself transforming into that and then probably murdered those people in a manner in which he thinks a werewolf would. Okay. Okay. 
This seems like a stretch. It is. Also, Mr. Phillips, totally real. So the letter. Totally yeah, real person, yeah. right? I mean, it was an alias. Okay. Um, but they stated that they had successfully treated someone with this disease using hypnosis. Okay. They pled with them to have his sentence overturned again and that they needed to seek psychiatric help. So the Spanish Minister of Justice wrote to the Queen, Isabella II, and she was like, okay, yeah, maybe he really is insane. Now, at this time, um, hypnosis was – and, like, psychiatry were becoming a thing. Yeah. And people used hypnosis a lot to treat psychiatric problems. Yeah. Also, a lot of electroshock therapy. Also, yeah. a lot of just poking your brain with sharp objects. Yeah. This was definitely like the era mm-hmm. of the rise of attempting to treat mental illness, mm-hmm. which a lot of people up until this point thought that they were just like touched or, you know, like mm-hmm. some magically bullshit going on. And even in the early days, like psychotherapy and um, any of these psychological doctors mm-hmm. um were kind of not super accepted early on like no, it was, it was like definitely a, bunch a quack of science yeah type mm-hmm. of thing yeah. people still believe that it's a quack science <laughs> scientology <laughs> yeah so i mean but it's also the intricacies of the brain like we will yes. we will never understand our brain fully never true. true and if anyone claims that they can or that we are close do not believe them they're either fake or never. selling MLM stuff. Yeah, they will. We will never be able to understand the intricacies of our brain. Yeah. So Queen Elizabeth II was like, okay, this makes sense. You know, she was a pretty big believer in in medicine, and so she had the sentence commuted in May of 1854. Manuel was transferred to Selanova Prison, and they died there a few months later. Now, the record and this prison are long gone, but there are two theories about their death. One, Manuel died from a disease shortly after arriving. Obviously, prisons aren't great, especially in Spain. Yeah. No one gives a fuck. Yeah. Even if they were, medicine was not great. Yeah. You wouldn't get, you wouldn't get treated. <laughs> yeah. The other theory was that Manuel was shot by a guard after repeatedly being asked to transform into a werewolf. They grew angry and killed Manuel. So He's the like, guard was like, transform. Do it. Be a werewolf. Do it. Do werewolf stuff. Like anthropy. Go on. Come on. Yeah. And they were like, I can't. My curse is gone. It's been lifted. So they're like, all right, well, bye. Shoot you in the face. (laughs) Oh, oh my God. Sure. (laughs) Now, there are conflicting accounts of where Manuel actually died as well. So uh, the death is kind of a mystery, but we know that they were gone by 1863. So now in recent years... Manuel was being looked at again, but not for the case (laughs) or even the lycanthropy. But instead, people became very interested in knowing more about why were they identified as a female at birth. Okay. It is believed that Manuel was considered one of the first documented cases of an intersex person in Spain. Really? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Since it was not... The olden, olden, olden times, sometimes doctors uh, perform surgeries on children at this time to make them fit into a gender binary. Mm. And it's not for certain, but the declaration of Manuela to Manuel at age six might suggest that male qualities appeared more predominant than female qualities, and that it might be quite possible that they underwent a surgery to definitively make them male. Yeah. And 
let's be real, like that can fuck you up, especially oh, yeah. at a time where um, the idea of a gender binary mm-hmm. and like is really becoming predominant. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like the thinking of somebody outside of a binary gender was like not a thing at all, like mm-hmm. not even on the radar. Yeah. Um, and especially for people living with it, having to like suppress any mm-hmm. any feelings that weren't within the little box, mm-hmm. like that could be so damaging to your mental health. Yeah. And the other case that was made for it was the fact that they had uh, proclivities for activities that were considered feminine. Mm-hmm. So the soap making, the sewing, um, the fact that they stopped growing when they were in their teens. Yeah. If they were intersex and did have surgery, that could stop you from actually fully becoming, you yeah. know, whatever well, probably height you were supposed to be. Producing hormones, hormones to, yeah. to mm-hmm. deal with puberty. And there are um like hand drawings of manual mm-hmm. and a lot of the uh descriptions, you know, they were balding. But they always described the them as having, like, very feminine eyes and, like, long eyelashes. Okay. They would talk about that a lot in the descriptions of Manuel. Um, so it's believed that they were intersex. Yeah. There was actually an artist who created works based on this for the – based on the case for the PH Museum in Italy. And it was called Lobsmuller. Um, and you can check that out. It's, like, really haunting photography. Um, we could put the link in the show notes, but if you go sure. to PH Museum and check out their exhibition section, it's this beautiful black and white, and some I think some of them have a little red tinting to them. It's very dark noir photography. Yeah. But that is the case of Manuel Blanco Romasanta or Manuela. Oh, so interesting. <laughs> that was that was a very interesting. Yeah, it's fucking weird. Case. It's very weird. Yeah. And I consciously like started writing he because all of the writing said he, but then as I started reading it, I was very like they because we don't really know <laughs> exactly what sex they were yeah. or you know, I mean they were kind of forced into being a male, right. but still right. like didn't have another wife. Still was very, like, by themselves, yeah. did a lot of, you know, female-considered activities. Yeah. This – it I think that does add, like, a certain layer to this whole story because mm-hmm. we really are – I think especially now as we are talking about gender and sexuality um, being a spectrum, which it mm-hmm. is, really, um, like, it just is a new concept to us now, right? Like, yeah. within the last 10 years of people well, finally – Concept to us now in the Western world. I, I, yeah. <laughs> so let's put that and caveat and, on and there. And by that, I mean <laughs> becoming more accepted. Mm-hmm. It's not there yet. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of work to do, people. Yeah. Don't be closed-minded, you mm-hmm. know. But that series that I was talking about with Jonathan Net- Van Ness, he yeah. he has an episode about that. Yeah, yeah. Because they he's, have an episode. He's Sorry. gender non-binary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they prefer um, they. <laughs> well, I think on an episode, episode of Queer Eye, he said he, she, they. Yeah. So. But in this but episode, yes. they they definitely yeah. said that they were non-conforming and went yeah. by they. So, like, yeah. they talked to a two-spirited person and they mm-hmm. discussed it. And it is very, like, very much an 18th, 19th century thing that started happening mm-hmm. that pushed this. Previous to that, it wasn't too definitive. It was, mm-hmm. it was more, like medical at birth kind of a situation and then all of a sudden it started to change 
And yeah. that was in the Western world. If yeah. you go outside of that. Right. Yeah. No, we're always slow no. to catch on because <laughs> we have a lot of close-minded dumbasses mm-hmm. in our country. Sorry to say. Yeah. No, I'm not sorry to say. There's a lot of stupid people that live here. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but <laughs> the fact is, like, <laughs> that only adds to any issue that you would have, any other issue that you would have, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not fitting in this tiny little super hyper-religious box, I'm assuming, because mm-hmm. um, that in the 1800s, religion played a part in everything. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it just, I don't know. You know, I do feel a lot, I just feel a lot of empathy for them because it can't have helped to just, mm-hmm. like, have someone decide your gender for you and then you didn't really have a choice because then you're ostracized and that's not great for business and the switch that they made was at six years old when you're fully conscious of your body and Mm -hmm. and you as a person and are beginning to become you (laughs) yes yeah yeah weird time to do that I guess what I'm trying to say is we love everybody. You do you. You do you. We love people (laughs) of all genders and sexualities. Mm -hmm. And it's great. It makes the world a better place. Yeah. Because who gives a shit? Just Mm -hmm. do your thing. Exactly. It's fine. I just want everybody to be happy and get along. World peace. (laughs) World peace. Let's do murder. You've been watching the Olympics too much. (laughs) Oh, my God. Do not. Before we started recording, I went on like a 10 minute rant about the Olympics. (laughs) Tiff and I are like, which I very much, I very much love, but is controversial this year for obvious reasons. Do not get me started. I mean, it's controversial every year. (laughs) It is. But more so this year. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm not even going to get started on that. I could just go forever and ever and ever. (laughs) So if you. In closing. closing, (laughs) If you are looking for another true crime podcast just like us to stop you from watching the olympics <laughs> to avoid the olympics no watch the olympics or don't i don't know i feel conflicted i, I feel conflicted well check out this podcast <laughs> just do that check out this podcast my name is hunter and i'm Haley, and we're your hosts of murder and such a podcast about true crime serial killers and other dark subject matter. Join us while we fill your ear holes with some crappy comedy and disgusting tales. You can now find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and all of your podcatcher services. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. At Murder and Such. Hope to hear from you guys soon. Bye. Bye. All right, Janelle, that has been our episode sure has what a fun time (laughs) what a weird time it is really like our roots of Mm -hmm. just like real gritty true crime yeah type stuff and of course me coming with the weird curveball werewolves (laughs) werewolves which find the paranormal (laughs) um so what do we have coming up i know we got oh my gosh speaking of paranormal paranormal (laughs) beautiful segue yes this week guys gals they's thems <laughs> we have a podcast festival in elgin yay dark matters is mm. happening um it is the 25th and 26th but we will be performing on the 26th uh 5 30 5 30 one yeah. of those times um, check our social needs yes i am not uh good at remembering things Me neither. Um, i'll be there i forgot <laughs> to put it on my calendar until this morning so but i am supposed to be there um 
It's $10 for a pass for the entire festival, so you can see whatever you want for $10. And you go to sidestreetstudios.org, sidestreetstudios.org. Let me sound it out for you. And you can go there and get your ticket in advance. There will be lots. Oh, we're the only true crime, but there's lots of paranormal and weird freaky deaky stuff happening. There is. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to They've pull got ghosts. Up. They've got is. aliens. They've got all kinds of stuff. I think there's one in Spanish. Like, there's so yeah. many things. <laughs> um, okay. I wanted to see. So they've got Bob After Dark, mm-hmm. Ghostly Podcast. Um, there is going to be an AMA I think we're going to try to go to before mm-hmm. all of this starts if you just want to come and talk to us. Again, we don't remember anything yes. until it happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is going to be tarot readings in Palmistry, mm-hmm. uh, Graveside Paranormal. We will be there. Uh, Rob Southgate graphic tales. This looks like a UFO. Yes, that's the aliens thing. Yeah, um, Radio Lucifer. Those are those are all people that are going to be there. So if any of that sounds interesting, you can check that all out at SideStreetStudioArts.org. Um, backslash Dark Matters will take you right to the. Yeah, it is. I think it's also right on the front page. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, <laughs> you just, just click, click on the boom, thing. Click. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but come and come and check us out. It's uh, Side Street Studio Arts and Ghostly Podcast. We like Ghostly. They did a great job with the um, Fringe. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. worked with them at the Fringe. So anyway. Yes. They recorded us. It was fantastic. Yes. It was <laughs> wonderful. They're both wonderful. Uh, okay. So check us out. That's then we got. February 26th. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, and that's it. That's all we got for you today. That's all we have. That's, that's all we it. know that's happening. Yes. <laughs> so far. You know what? I'm glad that it's like early on in the year. It's nice to just be getting out to like do something and doing a live show. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage everybody to get vaccinated before they come out for the live show. Uh, re- masks are required too, just in case you didn't know that. Yes. Um, Side Street is very stringent with their policies. Good. Um, lots of signs everywhere. Solid. <laughs> I approve. Don't be a jackass. Yeah. Just. Do what they ask you, yes, please. Yes, No fighting. So you can enjoy a nice show. Yeah, we want to see you guys there. And then be angry afterwards. I feel like all of our <laughs> listeners are cool. They're they're probably doing what they yeah. need to do, so. Just respect their space, that's yeah. all. Respect the authority. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not really authoritarian. <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, they're, they're very not. non-hierarchical. Yes. Uh, but, you know, they're trying to be respectful of all yeah. the peoples, so. All right, with that, um, if you enjoyed this episode, you can find more like this at badtastecrimepod.com. Um, where we also have links to our merch page and to our Patreon. There's a donate button. You can go right there if you want to hear more. We also haven't talked about reviews in a while. Is that a thing still? Do people still do that? It's still a thing. I yeah. don't listen to iTunes anymore. <laughs> Me neither. But um, if you like the show, why don't you leave us a positive review on whatever app you happen to be yeah. listening on? Go on YouTube. Leave us a comment. For sure. It does. Watch all of our stuff. <laughs> With that being said, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, The Enigma. This has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Don't turn into a werewolf. (laughs) Or I'll cover you on the podcast. Uh, what else can we call him? Freddy Fashions? Uh. <laughs> Freddy Fashions. Oh my god. That's a good street name. <laughs> Freddy, this Freddy Fashions. Freddy Fashions. <laughs>